Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Um, We're going to be talking about Brian's book, which is Lessons from the Head's Office, which is available from Sage Publishing. Um, And I've thoroughly enjoyed reading this. So um, it's very, you definitely get Brian's personality come across, which is great. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself and uh, explain a bit about your background? Yes. Can you hear me? We can. Good, good. I was having a bit of a panic because you said iPad doesn't do it, but... I'm on my phone. Um, hello, uh, I'm Brian Walton. I am the uh, writer of Lessons from the Head's Office. Um, I'm a head teacher still. Well, as long as, uh, yeah, I was this morning. Um, and I have been for about 20 years on my fourth headship, uh, currently a head teacher in lovely Somerset in a, a wonderful academy called Brookside Academy. That's a kind of a zero to 11 provision. It's a special school as well as a nursery, as well as a mainstream primary school. So, yes, yeah, so that's a bit about me. I'm also a chair of governors of pupil referral unit as well. Because so. that's what I thought was interesting about your book is the fact that you're actually an acting head that's actually writing about it in the moment as opposed to somebody that's kind of finished and then kind of written it. So when did you find the time to write this? <laughs> it was a bit of a I've been blogging for years I've been on Twitter for years and I used to do blogs as a kind of cathartic Sunday detox from the week um but it, it, yeah that's something that Steve Mumby my hero um writes in the uh, in the foreword it was really important to me that I wrote it as a head um it was part reflection it was it was a good time in my career. I'd been doing it for coming up 20 years. I felt like I had a lot to say, but also it was really good reflection for myself. Um, so I started kind of lockdown where maybe, you know, I just wanted to reflect on quite a change in what I was doing um, and then struggled afterwards, really. I had a wonderful um, editor who helped me from Sage, uh, uh, Deanna, because I was, I kept thinking I was writing some sort of literary, you know, novel, and she kept kind of editing me down. Just look, what are you trying to say? <laughs> you know. So it was just a reflection on themes. I, I realised in the blogs I had, I had kind of some common themes that I kept going back to, like inclusion, leading teams, uh, crisis management, and those things, finance. And I didn't think much had been writ- written on finance. Um, so it was kind of like a, what would I tell myself if I started, if I was starting again? um yeah yeah I think that was uh where I kind of started it all well like I think I like I said your personality definitely comes through this but I love the fact that um the first chapter is called on leadership um and yes you heard that right um so um what is leadership (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not gonna take full credit for this it was something I I did a I was really lucky that, uh, that um, one of my deputies, uh, ex-deputy, he's now a really experienced head, he's been going for 10 years, um, uh, um, who's the primary head on um, X or Twitter or whatever we call it nowadays. Um, we were doing a talk, we, we were lucky enough to do a keynote at the Primary Rocks, if um, primary colleagues know this, and we wanted it to be about authentic leadership and we wanted it to be funny. 
but also we wanted to be to be really true and honest and leadership was something we came up we were looking at all the things that stopped you doing what you plan to do as a head teacher uh, as school leaders we have this kind of ambition that we're going to change the world we have this ambition that we've got big things to do and then we get into school and we find that complaint about the color of the gravy which is a true story um, you know, or the fact of why, why did you serve my, my children um, carrots that were purple? So you, you go in with this ambition to, to create the future leaders of the world and to let people survive and thrive and do these wonderful things. And then you find yourself dragged into this vortex of, of mundane and vexatious and upsetting rubbish really when we and we were thinking what do we call it and we did uh, yeah but, uh, yeah i think i can remember where we were exactly as we did it and I, I think it was me that kind of said it's leadership isn't it and it went from there really so it goes uh, to principle i yeah. love it <laughs> i love it i even like so i'm i'm doing my master's in educational leadership and i, I said um that i like the old version of the eisenhower matrix much better um <laughs> where you've got basically everything on the low side and you've just got this question, why are you doing it? Um, yeah. Yeah, we so... Uh, and sometimes we think we do it, and I talk about that later in the book about well-being. Sometimes it's just good to do crap because the job can be so pressurising and, and difficult at times. But the truth of the matter is when you get into that area, um, I likened it to, I remember when I became a head, um, someone, I talked about a head who... I went into a school to support and it, we'd find out that the head teacher had mainly been counting the petty cash uh, for, for months and not focused on the fact that there were massive behaviour issues in the school and, you know, teachers didn't feel, you know, happy with what was going on. And all the head was done was it was locked away counting the petty cash because they were doing the, the mundane stuff, the stuff on the, the right hand side of the Eisenhower uh, matrix. And, and for me, it's about really fixing up uh, on that top left corner, the urgent and the important. And then if you're lucky, you get down to the, you know, the important but not so urgent. And that's when you're in that lovely place of being really strategic and ahead of yourself why are you yeah why why there's so much stuff we do as head teachers on school leaders that when you come down to it and you're really brutal with yourself it's like why why am i wasting my time on this yeah so yeah writing about that to a degree i was gonna say i think i think i like the quote at the start um where you said your strength comes from your honesty and curiosity um and i think that definitely kind of is reflected in all of it and i think that's the thing isn't it we want to get to that perfect place where we're kind of doing the great things but yeah. there's so much of the kind of urgent and vital things that you kind of and you have to sift through and work out what is urgent and vital yeah and most of the stuff that's really urgent and vital you don't really get it's very rare that and it really in leadership school leadership you get the immediate rewards that immediate wow i've done something incredible a lot of that takes years and years you know it takes years and years to build a school around a vision and and a purpose and what we do get though is the the immediate you know facebook rants that you're useless or someone shouting at you you know the, the the other stuff that you can get dragged into that really isn't that important it's someone having a bad day or something like that so so it, it's just noticing that and the curiosity and the honesty is you know one of the things i was talking to um uh, someone who who's on dm who's got the book and they they had an interview for a headship today and i was kind of you know they were talking about you know I can't remember what exactly we're talking about, but generally, you know, that's it. How do, how do you keep longevity in the role? And I think the, 
it's like don't over celebrate your successes don't uh, don't big up yourself when it's all going really well because you can guarantee in school leadership at some point it ain't going to be going well and if you keep telling your governors all the great stuff it's can miss so try and treat the boat or both the imposters of both the same you know success and failure well, you know on, onwards and forwards um so, so yeah i don't uh, it's that honesty of it you know i don't try to big myself up too much because i know i'm gonna be flat on my face at some point in the week <laughs> going oh yeah yeah i cocked up there uh yeah never mind move on um but you have quite an unusual past in the fact that you you failed school and then became uh, went on to have your own record shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, school was, I just hated, it was, I wasn't a really, you know, I wasn't someone that was always in trouble and fighting and I, I was a truant, you know, back in the days. So I lived in a place called Birdham Sea and there was an, arc, it was a, it's a very much a seasonal holiday uh, town and um, I used to spend most of my time in the arcades playing Pac-Man and track and field and just skiving from school all the time um and that's actually why i got suspended in the end which is hilarious it's like the truant dream getting suspended from school for truancy you know so so um and i struggled a lot because academia wasn't something in, in my family that you know my, my family was just hard workers um and you know i came from kind of a really working class background where the idea of going to college and university wasn't really there that we had a we had a we had an industrial state behind us. That's that's where you were good work, earn your keep, you know, hopefully buy a house on the council estate and move on from there. So I didn't, yes, and it, but it was then school later on that saved me. It was college, actually. It was someone, um, I had a kind of sliding doors moment where I'd had the record shop. I wanted to be a rock star. I wasn't very good at guitar. Um, I was more a roadie than anything. And then I'd met my wife, Julia. She was doing A-levels at Bridgewater College. I thought, well, I like this. I really liked her history A-level. I found it interesting. And they did an access course um, back in the kind of early 90s. And I went for an access for a Bachelor of Arts. And there were three guys, I remember, that interviewed me. And they asked me the question, what have you read recently? And I went, oh, I've read The Hobbit. And they just found it hysterical. And they laughed me out of the room, basically saying, look, this isn't for you. This isn't for you. And as I kind of left the room opposite me in the corridor, um, I'd love to meet this woman now, I really would. A, a lady called Leslie opened the door. She said, oh, are you here for the access to education? And I went, oh, no, no. She said, would you like to be? And she just spent about an hour of her life talking me into this access course that I joined in Bridgewater College. And I was getting like D's and E's in the GCSE English at the beginning. And I was getting A's in the A-level literature. And so it was just a really, and I was just basically, you know, this classic example of teachers just going out of their way to, you know, make you successful. And then I went to uh, Bristol Uni uh, on a four-year B.Ed. Um, and ended up on a tribunal for not... I missed my first-class degree by about two marks, I think, in the end. It was ridiculous. But by, that, by which point, I got, I'd got a teaching job, so I didn't care. I was happy, happy as anything. And it went from there, really. So, yeah, it was one of those kind of moments where you weren't destined to do... Hence the fact, whenever we get those conversations about GCSEs, English and Maths, and all of those kind of things, I, I slightly have a different take from personal experience on it. And I'm, I suppose I've spent most of my time working in schools and areas. I've worked in Tower Hamlets, I've worked in uh, Easton in Bristol, Wood in Bristol, kind of, uh, you know, areas where deprivation is high to a degree. And worked in specialists, worked as a, like I say, on pet chair governors of pupil referral unit. So I've always been really interested in those children on the edges 
that that can sometimes maybe fall by the wayside if we don't invest in them. I um, I completely agree with you. I love those little kids on the edges and getting them in. But like I've just started at new school, so I've only been there a few weeks. And I, I um, there was one kid that said that doesn't come to school but loves art. And I had a couple of meetings with her and mum, and now she's she came into school today for the first ever time for well since I've been there and certainly for months and mum said she was just so happy at how excited she was to come in so uh, it's it's is turning it around I like, I like building that resilience I think if kids can leave school with resilience and know that if they can go through the hard stuff they come out the other side that's more important than kind yeah. of a GCSE and it's a sense of belonging in your school community it's really hard for some children and some families to feel like they belong within the community so how you build that it doesn't always work you know um it's sometimes what you have to admit that you you can't save every child and you know work it out but but i i like the idea that and again it's a long-term thing it's something you know with the school i'm at, at the moment where we, we have quite a few children that have failed mainstream placements and they have ehcps that come into the special school and it's that sense of you know if you look at success it's a sense that you know, yeah, this is your place and we work together on that. And there's a sense of pride around it within the family as well as the child themselves. So it's how do you get that? And I've always been fascinated by that, that journey. And it's, it, I, I, your book had me giggling because your <laughs> um, music background came very much through all your subtopics and I loved it. So um, yeah. <laughs> for example, for the listeners, um, this one is, I got 99 problems, but often ain't one. Um, <laughs> it just, yeah. I just loved it. Um, so what's your opinion on kind of offset, especially now that um, kind of with everything that's going on and um, how schools kind of include them within their kind of aims but also don't lose themselves with the whole kind of chasing the Ofsted dream yeah I was I, I, I purposely didn't write a chapter in Ofsted um and in some ways I'm kind of reflecting on that a lot more now because you know my, my reason for it is I just don't I've, I've been ahead for 20 years I don't give a toss about Ofsted really um because I, I shouldn't but actually it's bigger than that and I'm reflecting a little bit I just recently was on the thing called the Westminster Forum where the panel was what's the future of Ofsted and there was a big HMI there he was lovely they, all the people were lovely um there was a, a CEO of a big organization and they were all saying you know so Martin Oliver's made some really good first steps and so on and so forth and I was at the end saying no I don't care whether Ofsted are nicer and care about my well-being if they tell me my scores are I you've got to realize that that, that, that that's a huge thing for every school leader I've ever met. They want their school to do well. Um, and they're judged within a day or two. There, there's, a, there's an old 70s children's programme called The Flumps for any people listening to this a little bit. And there's a wonderful second episode, I think it was called The Cloud, in which uh, Perkin, who's this like potato flump thing from the 70s, <laughs> this is back, had just walks around with this cloud over his head the whole time and through this show. Um, and I just kind of thought that's how school leaders usually feel about Ofsted, that even when you think it's going well, you're trying to second guess. You know, I call it Ofsted once. You know, if you start leading your school and you look at, you know, the curriculum that we've had in the last, you know, since 2011, really, the whole intent implementation, it's school leaders not being able to be autonomous and lead with confidence because we start to try and guess what this, particularly if you're in a school where, you know, it's a challenge. 
it's a challenge every day. You won't be brave enough to, to kind of get away from that. So I acknowledge Ofsted because I have to. I had them in October and uh, November actually, um, but that, that it has to change. I'm I'm, a part, I'm very much in that camp of people saying Ofsted absolutely has to change. Um, and it's destructive, I think. I think it's created an education system that's that's very safe um, and cautious because we're too terrified to get it wrong. Um, and that's awful. It is. Um, and I, th- I think that kind of, it leads quite nicely on to the next chapter, which is crisis management. I guess I think Austin kind of comes into that because you kind of, that kind of panicking of when it's going to happen um but it sounds like you've been through pretty much every crisis going <laughs> over the years few. i've had a few over the years i, I like the the badger burry making a set underneath one of the offices um to i think you had somebody get was it potentially stabbing on your road so you oh, did, um, yeah, locked everybody lottery. into the school and then one of the parents complained that you made them late to an appointment when you were just trying to save their lives. Um, (laughs) You can't win. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's amazing what we do. And I think one of the, uh, the, because I've had some lovely reviews and it's been really good, but I think one of the, uh, it wasn't a criticism, but but I think it was Ed Finch was kind of saying, look, this is quite depressing at times. And it, it is, you know, I've worked in some challenging things. You get some of the worst things you have to deal with you know I've, I've still got a front page headline um when i worked in a school in uh, central bristol because basically my english lead at the time and the senko at the time went out to go do a home visit for a family we were worried about and then they broke into the house and stole the child and brought him back to school and i'm thinking oh my god no you can't do that you can't you know it's not and actually what they'd done is um it was front page uh, basically because of the school's actions these two individuals actions we broke a, a, a human trafficking ring that was happening there because the, these people were being kept their passports were being kept and they were being put into forced labor and the person that was a translator in the school was the person that was kind of leading this 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 human trafficking thing so you know you sometimes in education you do get caught up my school was uh, in town hams was right next door to i'll get east where the 77 bombings were you know and i can remember those days and i talk about that that kind of sometimes when you're a school leader and you're worried about yourself in your world but actually you have this responsibility where you walk into your school and everything focuses in on you um and and it's it's a huge responsibility at times that can sometimes be overwhelming. You know, even thinking about some of those events are quite emotional because my child had just been born. We were living in London and I didn't know where my wife and child were on the 7-7 bombings, but I had to go and tell the staff who I knew their loved ones would be on the tube. So you, you go through those moments of reflection and yeah, the, the stabbing was another one, though it didn't happen towards us and it was it was literally as the school was pulling out so everyone was rushing out and one of our grandparents was the local chief uh, constable and she kind of nodded and had done a phone call and said yeah everybody's got to get back in so we had so luckily my, my senior leadership uh, ship team were amazing and got everybody back in but then yeah one person just looked at me and went i'm now late <laughs> you know, yeah. i'm able to laugh about it a lot but sometimes for us as school leaders it's not and i talk about you know finding trouble i've got a lot of really good colleagues who will take the mick out of me a lot 
when I start saying, oh, you know, it's not. In fact, my my, my business manager is brilliant. She very early on, I, I like talk. You know, obviously, I've written a book. I'm, I'm quite confident as a school leader, and so she's got me a little Oscar that just says it, it's you know because basically her first line to me is it's not about you, and so I've got an all about me Oscar. <laughs> so I want to talk, you know. So um, yeah, so as leaders, we reflect on these things, and I think that was part of writing it down in the book is. Some of these things were huge. There was the bit where I was at- accused of attempted, uh, complicit in attempted murder uh, by a, a, the parent who um, a husband was driving and he wanted to take the phone off her to apologise that she had said it. And then they crashed, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, am I now complicit in some sort of you know, accident? It, it, it's those kind of events that you reflect on. And yeah, the book was a good way of doing it, I suppose, really. Because that, that, like, there is a lot of humour in it, even though it's obviously quite a stressful situation. And I quite liked it. Like, I was um, a beach lifeguard in my um, early 20s. And actually, I w- we were trained to paramedic level by one of the paramedics who was the first person there at the bombings. And he talked through that situation. So I remember him telling me very vividly about those days. But it, I also think kind of that kind of almost level we are kind of almost paramedics and first responders but in a daily kind of teaching scenario and and you kind of refer to that in in one of the bits you said uh, one of your mini chapters is think like a hostage negotiator yeah, that was that was from something that was the reason i put that and it does sound dramatic doesn't it but it was um tim taylor who's who's, uh, he, who's the mantle of the expert guy who who's written a few books he once saw a, he, i remember him telling me about seeing this hostage negotiator talk and it was a real thing about leadership you know how do you when you're under huge pressure keep calm and try not to see things from your own perspective try to, to to you know talk someone around and i think head teachers do that a lot school leaders do that a lot they we can sometimes get upset ourselves when someone's angry with us and we can take bring our own ego into it but actually sometimes i, I, I in fact i've had to do it twice today where you've got to be really level and calm and, and not take the criticism and try and see well what's the issue here why, why is this happening um Let's try and see it from the other perspective, the other person's views, because that's ultimately that's what we are. We're public servants. Um, I think what's so hard now is I think school leaders have become the most accountable public servants out there. I think, you know, we are easily accessible and there's a lot of things to moan about and be unhappy about. Yeah. We're constantly under that pressure, whether it's housing or whether it's the cost of living, which was today's issue, or whether it's, you know, broken marriage whatever it is a, a school leader is pretty much gonna have to at some point you know yeah contend with it so yeah and, and that kind of leads on so you've got a bit which i think is it's really great advice is all about unsocial media because i think that is a thing that we, teachers don't necessarily get a good review in the media we're not necessarily put on a high pedestal and having claps at seven o'clock at night like um <laughs> other frontline workers um, there does definitely seem to be that kind of we are the, the an easy target to be blamed for things, um, and it, but it, you talk about how to deal with that as well. Yeah, I kind of my, my it's, that's that was the help of my wife. My my wife has been um, a kind of a press officer all her life. She worked at Number Ten um, when we moved to London. That's why we moved to London. She did comments at Number Ten. She worked at the Home Office, and she's really good at. Uh, you know, through doing kind of, uh, you know, kind of media and stuff like that. She's really good at kind of being sensible about 
how you respond to social media or how you kind of respond to those kind of elements. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, it's, it, and I remember getting upset. I, as a parent, I remember one time joining, trying to protect the local head when loads of people on Facebook were being really horrible. And basically, it suddenly turned on me where someone just went, oh, come over to this as, you know, the friend of the head teacher's trying to defend him on social media. And it's like, oh, my God, it's just so, it's so quickly nasty. Um, and I used to get upset by it, but now again, I'm just really cautious. You know, I, I still speak my mind, but I, I realise I can't, you know, you're never going to win a fight on social media, are you really? And what I find with, and I think with the advice there is, I just find even phone calls, face-to-face -face meetings with people where you start the kind of conversation with how can I help, pretty much neutralises a lot of that, 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 you know, anger, particularly when there's a mob mentality around something. Um, yeah, so it's kind of reflections again on on advice I would give myself, and that I go because it's interesting. I, I I didn't I wrote the book, and you don't read your book when you write it. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to something recently. I had a I, I had a train journey, and I read, and I thought, oh, that's good advice. <laughs> so it's like, oh, did I write that? Um, so yeah, and social media is one of those things, and I think I then get like I have an a, a approach to crisis management because I've had a few of those in my time. Just a few. Yeah. Um, and then also it then goes on to kind of well-being. And I, th I think I that's I think what kind of I think is the probably the biggest thing with being in leadership is the well-being. Because suddenly, like, you're just moaned at and complained to. Nobody says kind right. of good job very often. And it's how, how do you cope with everything when it's quite kind of negatively coming in your direction? I think I think a lot of it. I, what what I've reflected over the time is is I think our well being is a personal thing. It's different for different people, but the danger in well being is everybody then forgets themselves within it. So whatever your go to thing, your friendship circles, you know, whatever it is, when you're under that pressure, you you lose sight of that. Um, and so for me, it's trying to not lose sight of those, those things, you know, keep doing the, you know, keep the friendships that, that I've got, you know, I might not want to go out and talk or go and do something, but, I, but I'll do it. I'll force myself through it because ultimately it's good for me. Um, it's interesting that you say that because I'm just doing the, I've just ran the, we've got 110 staff at my school and the wellbeing survey has to come in in four sections. We, we have a nursery one, we have a specialist one, we have a, an office and support staff one and we have a mainstream one. And, you know, I was just reflecting on some of the things that, that you know, though, though, though it's, it's, it's a positive overall picture, um, you uh, you know you only uh, I didn't write about this in the book but uh, a colleague of mine talks a lot about that often when you're under pressure you only see the black dot on the white page you just focus in on the negatives um, and all you can see is that black dot on the page um, and I, again I was doing that today I, I was looking and someone said you know uh, what can leaders do to, to, to make well-being better and someone said well, you know um, well you know we don't organize socials now my immediate response is well no one's stopping you <laughs> organize a social well why is that a leader's issue you know um, but I, I'm not going to do that I'm going to go back and look at it sensibly and say well actually what what does it and then everyone was you know you don't you know people don't always say good morning you know that's really hard some days as any teacher will know when you've got something on your mind and you're walking down the corridor sometimes you're hi how are you with 110 staff you're not going to do it every time all the time and so it's trying to be 
I think with well-being, it's trying. I, I think I say, don't roll your eyes at it. Take it really seriously. And I kind of, yeah, I do mean that now. I think in my early days, I didn't think I, I write about. It, I didn't think I was stressed. I've interviewed a lot of uh, colleagues who have since left the job, and it's really interesting. Um, I think one of them, and again, I'm not sure. I might have wrote, written about this, where they talk about had the feeling that 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 they've been numb for a lot. Then you numb yourself as a school leader to the horrible stuff, and when they retire, they feel like the pin's been taken out of their hand, and they start to feel again, which is a horrible kind of thought. But I, 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 I I'm really conscious of that. How am I feeling? And that was basically because I had some health scares, you know, going back and it affected my, it affected me, you know, um, I was a, I was supporting school and special measures and, you know, I, I it, yeah, you know, I'm not embarrassed to say I was on medication. It, I, I became impotent I, over the, 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 uh, the course. And I used to think, no, I'm not stressed. I would always say that, you know, if anybody said, are you stressed? No, no, I love my job. <laughs> and that's like, no, you don't. So you have to be realistic and, and really honest with yourself when you're doing those things. Um, and I think that's a real shame because I might have worked in more schools and special measures over my career, but I made a purposeful, purposeful decision not to keep doing that. I think that that's one of your subtopics, is the, the naked leader and that importance of being vulnerable. But it's it's a risk, but it's really important. And I think that's that's something I do as a teacher. That's how I build my relationships with my students, is that I am a little bit vulnerable. I'll kind of be quite open and honest with them, but it makes me make really strong, quick relationships with the students and get the best out of them. And actually, leadership needs to do the same with the staff as well and kind of be open and honest with them. And that's how they'll then support you and help you and, and have that better team dynamic. Yeah, and it's getting that balance right. When I first became a head, I remember when I walked down the corridor and say, oh, God, what a terrible day I'm having. Oh, you wouldn't believe what I'm... You know, and then I suddenly thought, my God, how's that helping my stuff? They don't want to know that. They want to know that I'm in control. But at the same time, if I cock up or I get things wrong, I've got to be the first to say, I'm really sorry. I thought it was this I was wrong you know and and that's quite hard to do particularly when you're a new head in a school where you want everyone's looking to you I see it a lot in behavior when when there's a behavior issue in my school my staff are so skilled they're team teach trained they have all this training but with there's still this perception that when the head teacher comes behavior will be solved and that's generally, behaviour is a relational thing. It's a, it's a system thing, but it's also a relational thing. And the idea that the one person in the school can just walk in and solve things is just totally unrealistic. Um, so, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, I, I suppose it's just being really reflective and honest about that. But what you can't do is go around being a walking, you know, disaster, you know, negative mood hoover. Because it's so easy to do, because everything is pretty rubbish at times, it feels like, in education. There isn't enough money in SEND, there isn't enough services for children, we can't get a CAMS referral, you know, boom, 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 boom. And I, I try to balance that out with the positives as well. You know, we're doing a great job. Um, look, look at the successes. Um, but it doesn't always come across. The other thing I think you have to realise about wellbeing is some staff love that kind of stuff. They love knowing how they love being told they're doing a good job some stuff really and some like it publicly some stuff would just die if you said publicly that they were doing a great job so it's knowing your team and the bigger your team the harder it is to get right sometimes 
And you, you also a big advocate for kind of like reaching outwards as well. I love the fact that you kind of literally did a kind of a bit of a tweet going, what should I do for inset? And then ended up with Jim <laughs> Lawless <laughs> doing your inset speech. I mean, that's just pretty amazing. Yeah, if anybody's ever seen Jim Lawless, he does like, I, I'd seen him like do 2,000 people. You know, he does Google, he does like all the, the top ones. He's got an amazing story. He's an amazing, uh, Tame and Tigers, his book's a brilliant book. Yeah, and I just was deaf. I'd gone into a school in special measures and I was asked to support and I literally went in and I was thinking, God, there's lots to do. And then they said, oh, yeah, you know, you know there's an inset in like three or four days. And I was thinking, well, how could, you know, so I just kind of felt like we needed something that was uplifting. And I didn't aim for him. I just wrote out, does anybody know of someone that can do an inset in 24 hours or something like that? And he just came back and said, I'll do it. Uh, and it was phenomenal. This little kind of rundown hall with him doing his thing about how he became a jockey and then how he broke the the British free diving record, you know, and talking about resilience and leadership in a school that had gone through the mill. It was, yeah, it was one of those little special, but he also gave me some great advice because when I spoke there, I, I was terrified by going into the school special. I was thinking, why do I think I can come in where so many other people have failed and, and make a difference? You know, the massive, you know, I talk about imposter syndrome a lot in the book and I open with it. Um, and I had, and he just kind of said, you know, he took me aside and said, can I give you some advice, Brian? And I was like, yeah, of course you can, of course you can. And he went, you know, when, when the ship's sinking, um, nobody wants to look at the captain and see fear in his eyes. I was like, oh, thanks, great piece of advice, you know, an indecision. And I did this, like, opening speech, and I was just indecisive. Yeah, yeah, so I reflect back on those moments a lot. But, yeah, that was a nice moment. Chance, you know, sometimes just take a chance. And you've got you've got some lovely you've got your five tips for um, kind of thinking about well being, um, which is like I I love find your tribe um, is just I think that's so important. I'm at new schools, so I'm trying to I'm working out, but I'm slowly getting there. But it's really important, I think, as teachers finding the right teachers and people to talk to in school. Yeah, and that was a little bit from uh, Sir Ken Robinson talked about. He wrote a book called Tribes, and I, I was lucky. I've seen, I saw him a few times, and I got this amazing moment where I'm, I kind of, it was at the uh, Arnold Feeney, which is a lovely art gallery in Bristol, um, and I'd gone to see him talk, and afterwards he was doing a signing. And, yeah, I remember him talking, he was talking about tribes at the time, and it's it's those it's not the cosy things, you know, the, the, the two heads that I go out to cinema with are, are both heads that are much younger than me and I've kind of worked with one was my deputy uh, the others uh, but they're really experienced heads now um, and they're just brutally honest so I can't really get away with whining and moaning uh, you know they're, they're very quick to get to the point and and so for me as a tribe they don't just pat me on the head and say oh don't worry it's going to be awful you know they can be quite brutal sometimes but at the same time we're, we're really close friends and that's built up over years. And I, I think it's usually the people you're training with or the people that you're going into leadership with, the people on your master's course or things like that. People that you start to talk to that you think, oh, yeah, you know, five, ten years later, they're going to be, you know, they're really important people in, in that uh, kind of. And sometimes it's a bit social as well. But, um, yeah, you know, that is important. Finding your tribe. <laughs> And then your next one is strategic sanctuary, which I, you've got a question on there, which I love. What can we control here and what is out of our control? And I think 
as teachers we like to think that we can control everything and actually sometimes we can't and so I, I that one's for me is like I need to remember what what's in control and what's out of control yeah and there are so many things that we fret over and we lose sleep over or we can wake up and I think I used that line and I had a really good mentor once and she said if you wake up in the night and something's still on your mind just have a book and a pen next to you you're probably writing your score development plan you know and and it's that idea that that yeah there's so many things we worry about that why because there's we have no control over that we what you know if someone if a parent says they're going to take uh, you know write to a lawyer and get a letter to, there's nothing we can do to stop that all we can do is control the things we can control um yeah yeah think about that a lot <laughs> and same with the idea of work in progress I feel like there's so much pressure on us to kind of we're all aiming for that outstanding kind of but actually it's I think there isn't like an end goal really with teaching. It is this constant kind of rolling thing that kind of evolves. It doesn't, there isn't like an end point. You're never going to get everything perfect and be like, oh, that's it. I've, I've nailed being ahead. I've got the perfect <laughs> score. It might be for like one minute maybe and then something will happen. Yeah, but I just yeah. don't, it doesn't always kind of have that end point. Yeah, it's interesting because that's something I'm really trying. I'm I'm literally in the very early draft idea of the next thing I want to write about. And I might just blog about this a little bit beforehand. But I've got this idea of Education 11 that I'd watched Spinal Tap recently. And there's a brilliant scene where they've, he's got an amp and it goes up to 11 and he's really excited because it's louder and bigger. And I think education's full of Education 11. It's full of outstanding and world-class vision and world-class this... And it's just crap, you know, it's just awful. And I think it's really damaging. What's wrong sometimes with just turning it up to five and doing it really well, you know? And, and I think we beat ourselves up. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough all the time. And I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's healthy for education. I don't think it's healthy for children. You know, I think what we know about school leadership is when it's stable and it's consistent and systems work, it doesn't matter whether they're the, you know, the most colourful and glorious and well we're obsessed with research as though it always works and I, I like research like everybody else because it proves the it evidences but sometimes I think we just get so obsessed with it that I'm not sure it's it's very useful because it's always changing and what's interesting is you, you know I was, I was kind of listening to the Eisenhower thing about the Oscars and thinking people who were geniuses who did you know, whether they were for good or right, but, you know, found the cure, Mary Curie, things like that, did amazing things, had an education system was very different to the one today, and yet they still did it. And and we always assume that we're moving on and it's going to be better and bigger and it's got to be better and bigger and it's got to be. And I think that's really difficult for school leaders to go into. It's because it's like, I'm going to be rubbish because I don't, I haven't seen you know I haven't read that book on education over there and I haven't done that thing and I you know I, and a, a lot of it in education is is the experience of doing it it's a bit like being a school leader I was I, I became a school leader because of an awful situation really where my, the, the head teacher was suspended on the spot you know uh, there was a huge fallout with governors and I was kind of like thrust into it in a kind of sink or swim kind of moment um, and I used to think I was really good <laughs> and I realised the difference was I just got through it and then experience as teachers, as we know as teachers, the experience is really important to us and we do gain insight. 
but we're still obsessed with this the horizon the promised land and i don't think i'll ever see that i think when i retire i'll still probably if i think like that i'll think i had a disappointing career and i think that would be a shame so yeah yeah it's something that's important and that that's kind of your next point is teachers teach and leaders lead oh, yeah. and and it's i i think that's quite an important one that because like leading a school is so different from being a teacher there's so many many more different hats that you've got to have especially a head teacher that you're kind of teaching yourself as you go along to be able to manage them that it is yes you still understand what the classroom's like but there's so much more to it than than that and it's okay if you're not teaching anymore yeah you know for for head teachers in a small school that's not a luxury that they they can have and but I bet they you, you recognize that t- teaching's a craft, you know, and I think we belittle teachers sometimes by thinking, well, you know, I've been a teacher for I was a teacher for only eight or nine years. I've been a head teacher for, for 20. Um, and they're, they're very different aspects. I will not. You know, my teachers are better at, the, at judging their teaching than, than than I am. I can, I bring, I, I still feel like I can bring really good perspectives um, into it. And I've been in education for thirty, nearly thirty years, so you know, I bring that with me. But I'm not marking, planning, you know, having to have those thirty children in that class, looking, you know, making sure they're making pro. I don't have to do that as a craft and an art every single day. Therefore, it's really important that I understand the craft and the art that's coming and what the barriers are. You know, I, I think the most important thing a leader does is free teachers up to teach, you know, cut it so that they can do their job really, really well. Um, but, you know, I, I think I, reflecting that for some of those head teachers in small primary schools out in the middle of it, they have no choice, so they have to teach. And my hat is off to them because not only do they have to teach, they've probably got three or four subjects to lead as well at the same time. Um, I'm in a big school of 110 staff. And so, again, it's always your perspective. I think I say that at the beginning of the book. There's no perfect book to be written, you know, about how to lead a school. Um, but 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 I do think you have to reflect on on that. But if you're a school, there's only four of you and one of you's the head teacher. It's kind of, well, yeah. yeah, you know, you've got to take, because they will be having to teach. And to do that well, anybody knows, to do teaching well, it's, it's not something you can just you know dip your you know you, you can't just do you, you can't dabble yeah. you've got to you know you, you've got to it's a proper craft and art um and so that, I think that's what I write about and therefore your teachers should be telling you about teaching in your school um you challenge in different ways you'll know um so it's about trust and I t- yeah there's a, there's a lot of trust around that as well and your top well-being which is is a bit of a revelation for me last year. So last year I had a pulmonary embolism and so therefore I, well, I took my laptop to hospital before I went there. Yeah. So I, I was like, I can get some work done. Um, I'll write some really good cover from my hospital bed. Um, but it is, it is just a job and it is kind of, you, it's not very often you get to leave it at the door, but you have to have your personal life as well. And we're in, I think, I, I, I think, there, there's an element and you're you know i'm not saying you, you are but there's an element in, in teaching that we want to be martyrs we we want people to know that oh you know i can remember like, how many hours have you done this week oh i've done 55 hours oh i've done governors 70 hours you know and there's a and 
that's just not healthy. Um, and, and it is, you know, um, and sometimes when our family lives are tough as well, we, you know, tough work, tough family life, it can be, that can be really depressing. So I, I'm trying to kind of keep that. Yeah, it is just a job. It's a, it's a fantastic job. It's an amazing job. Um, I'm lucky, to, like I said, you know, in my sliding doors moment, I could have, I was working in factories, making doors, putting glue into door bits and pressing a button for about a year uh, because the, the record shop and my rock star career failed. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, but it is just a, a, a job. That doesn't mean that I don't take it seriously. I do. I want to be really good at it still now. You know, I, I want to be really good at this job. Um, but as soon as it starts taking over my sleep or my well-being or the way I'm feeling about myself, th then there's something wrong in the job. And so, I, yeah, it's just reflecting on that. And maybe I've had the luxury of being ahead for 20 years that I can be more confident saying that. I know it's harder at the beginning to do that because you want to prove to yourself. You feel like every eye is on you, watching you. Um, like I, I said earlier, you know, if you're doing a behaviour um, issue and the head comes and solves it. But also, if you don't exclude a child when the teachers are feeling you should, you feel like your judgment is being questioned all the time. That's really hard in a new school when you start. And it's the same in my second headship as it was in my third. Um, you start again and you think everyone's judging you. So, yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is just a job. But it's it's one that can quickly become quite all consuming, I think, for a lot of people. I think I think you just talk about it somewhere else in your book. Um, but I, I don't have to do lists. I have to do books because um, I just feel as a teacher, you're never, ever done. And you could give every minute of every day to teaching if you tr wanted to and it was, still wouldn't be done. And it, it's making yourself kind of cut yourself off and be like right I need my home time my family time and actually kind of refilling your bucket you're then going to be able to do a better job in the school but it is that kind of especially when it's kids and and we're at our core we want to do good for the kids we want to make their lives better but it has to it can't be at the detriment to your own life no no you know when you're having a bad day and someone then wants you you know looks to you with hope in their eyes that you're going to be the person and you just don't want to be there that's an awful situation to be in, isn't it? And we've got to accept that there are days where, you know, I think I catch myself doing it. We've got a really good reward system in our school where basically children are sent to me a lot. Um, and we have big gold counters. We have a house system and you, you immediately get an immediate gold coin or a, a red star, which is worth three house points. And if you do something really good, it's there. And we've got tubes outside and they fill up. Um, and there are some days where I'm busy or I've had a really bad morning, a bad email, or I know I've got to have a difficult conversation or something like that. And then a child comes walking in, smiling, holding an amazing piece of work that they've done. And I look at them and say, oh, not no, <laughs> please, not <laughs> any, you know. And, I'm just, and then it's just like you catch something, oh, I don't like me anymore. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, how do you, and I think a lot of the time it is going back to that core thing that we're really lucky to actually be able to impact people's lives. Uh, there's a lovely review that's just gone onto the Amazon of the book by William Stone. I remember William, I taught William. He was one of the last people, I was a, I was a head, I did teach. I used to do the level five uh, writing group. And William contacted me um, and said he'd read the book as a pupil because he wanted to know, he loved his time at school. He's really positive about school. 
and he thinks about it a lot and he's read the book and then he's reviewed it on Amazon for me. And it was just one of those just lovely moments. The book in the, there's a bit in the book I call like Book of Legends. And I remember, um, I talk about this time where the dad said he was going to break both my fucking arms um, because I'd given his child a detention. And then I did the classic thing that you would do as a year three uh, teacher. I said, uh, can we talk? And I sat down on the year three chairs because he was massive and he was like filling the frame. And he talked to me and you could see he was angry because it was the only way he dealt with things. But eventually over time, he really trusted me and, you know, and he understood what I was doing. And then his son about, oh, it was about eight years ago. I just said, Mr. Ward, like, you know, shouted across uh, Broadmead. I was in Broadmead in Bristol. And he walked over to me. He was about six foot four, tattoos down his neck. He was an MMA fighter, but he was so shocked with his family to talk to me and introduce his family and remember his school days and how I was really good to that's what we want to be remembered for it surely it's so lucky to think the people we remember you know everybody remembers a good teacher i remember the person that got me into this um and we do that sometimes through kindness sometimes through being a bit well you know tough love you know actually he's not good enough so those things but yeah william writing uh, on the review on the book and i was there i was desperate for reviews i was thinking oh no nobody's buying the book and then i got that little moment and it just like i was walking on a cloud just thinking oh wow to think that someone remembers you that after that time and as teachers we don't always hear that that feedback we don't always get it because we move on in our lives and we don't get those moments around the table with ex-pupils or ex-colleagues to go yeah actually you really did help me you know and it's a shame because I think teaching is that vocation. That's what we do. It, it definitely is. And that leads on quite well to your in, on inclusion kind of topic, which is all about kind of being kind, being safe and being responsible and kind of creating that environment where like you're, you're part of the community. Yeah. Yeah. And inclusion is a big one because, you know, we do have um, some really, you, you know, we have children with EHCPs for SMEH, um, and that can be really, really challenging. Um, in my, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, I won't swear properly here, but in my <laughs> in my um, actual in my interview for the job for the school, um, I had to do a classic head teacher interview thing where I walked around with the governors, and I had to give my advice as a walkthrough about what was going on in the teaching and learning. And I went into a school in uh, the specialist part. And a wonderful child who's now in sixth form, he's, he's, you know, it was a long time ago, who's just, just and the sixth form, lucky for me, is in the secondary schools next door. And I got to go and do a, uh, go into his lesson just recently. And we were talking about Pride and Prejudice. And it, he still remembered me. and It was just lovely. Uh, but I, he walked up to me and he said, uh, why are you here? And I mimicked the governors and everything. He said, oh, I'm here. for," And they were calling it the headmaster or headmistress interviews. I'm here um, for the headmaster interviews. And he just looked at me for a moment and he went, get the f*** be yourself <laughs> it was just like, and I was just thinking oh my god I'm going to a school now in my mainstream school before because it wasn't specialist that would have been an immediate suspension you know that 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 was just an and so I've had to adapt um over time working in a specialist sector working in a pupil referral unit and and I think yeah that's just been a big part of my development, I think, because we can, you know, we've made it work over, over, over. I'm not quite sure why I went into that story, but uh, the, the original, I was about inclusion. Yeah, you know, just that idea that, I, and I do, you know, it's not that I don't 
do do uh, suspensions, and I've I've done a few um, permanent exclusions as well in my time, where where we just cannot meet need. But I've got an amazing assistant head at the moment, uh, Nicola, who just is the most inclusive person in the world. You know, she, she will do everything she possibly can to make something work. But we also know from time to time there's nothing more we can do. So yeah, I, I write that very much from that perspective. Maybe as the person that didn't succeed at school themselves, who went through life with an inferior, the fact that I've written a book, you know, I left school with no qualifications. People used to laugh at me, um, even later on. They, they always had this assumption that, I, 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 you know, I wasn't, and I had this chip on my shoulder that I wasn't clever enough. I was from the council estate, you know, so on and so forth. So I always, I think I write that from the perspective of people who have those struggles um, a lot of the time. No, I completely. I I did a show um, just before Christmas, I think it was, talking about the suspension data, and it, it does kind of break my heart that kids with SEND needs or come from a less um, affluent background are far more likely to be suspended, and it's just that it just they're twice as likely as well. And it's like it's not their fault. It's they've got a learning need and they can't quite. Um, manage it and it, it is kind of making sure that everything's inclusive for them so they can succeed and then we're not just setting them up to fail and and kind of continuously fail um it is just really important yeah and and, I, and I'm not sure you know I, I can also see it from colleagues perspectives in mainstream schools I'm not sure mainstream schools can just meet that need from some time it does you know having been a chair of governance and a, a pupil referral unit the way they're able to operate is very different and it gives you abilities to meet need for, for, for some children that in ways you could never do in a class of 30 with all that pressure that's on you and I think there's a system issue there I think you know one of the bits in the, the book I'm thinking about now is how do you how do we create you know I'm so lucky to work in a school that's got a special school that's got babies it's an all-year-round provision as well and in the summer we support children up to the age of 18 with the HCPs as well so we we go much how do we create more schools like that? Because it will be cost effective. You know, there is a massive national high needs deficit. We're spent. You know, we're losing. You know, there's. You know, parents and local authorities are fighting over EHCPs. There's an awful kind of state in in, in SEND um, education. But the answers in your community, the answers in schools being able to meet the need, but be given the resources and the support and the training and the right need, because. My school, when it clicks, is the most amazing place. You know, we, uh, we have PMLD children. We have children with really complex medical needs. Um, we have, uh, you know, all sorts of children. But when it clicks, it, it's a really beautiful place to be. You know, uh, we have, yeah, lots. Of, I, I, I was talking to John Tomset recently. Um, he's doing an AP Her book. They've done the SEND Her book. And just talking in more detail about that, you know, how do you become a truly inclusive school? Because the benefits are huge. I think often we only look at the negatives, but actually when it clicks the other way, um, I don't I don't like quoting Ofsted, but the Ofsted report that was done for us in November, it actually references one that we take children permanently excluded from other schools successfully, which is nice to be recognised for that. Didn't get us an outstanding. But <laughs> <laughs> but they also not that I care, I genuinely care. That the last thing I would have wanted um, and but but what we do 
recognises children with SEND offer a lot to children in mainstream schools. They offer a lot. It's not a one-way thing that, you know, they're they're lucky to be in a mainstream school. They bring more into the school than people can ever realise. It's quite nuanced, you know, and uh, I write about a little moment in the book around that, about how a colleague said, oh, that's lovely, you know, a girl hugging a, a child who was with their OT who, who couldn't walk. And, you know, I said, what they couldn't see was the, ch the, the child who was immaculate with a violin case and everything had just lost her mother and she needed the hug from the child, from specialists, just as much, if not more, in that moment than, than the other child. And it's those nuances of inclusion that are really important, I think, if you get it right. But it's not easy. I won't say it's easy at all. No, and I especially agree with the point you said about the kind of EHCPs. We had a, a meeting yesterday and it's it's like it's a four year wait now for ADHD diagnosis. So like a kid in year seven that we think's got ADHD isn't going to get a diagnosis till year 11. And is that going to be we're obviously going to still put all the provisions in. But yeah. They're not going to get the medical help that could potentially help them flourish in school for four years. It's quite um, disheartening in that respect it's, it's it's a national disgrace i think the way um you know you know you only got to turn on the radio and see things about dentistry you know things that we shouldn't have to take for you know we shouldn't have to accept and you know we have children yet who, who can't get placements we have more and more children out of education um and I, I, it just yeah it's heartbreaking it really is because you know, the idea of being able to go to your local school and be successful, that shouldn't be okay for most children. It should be okay for all, you know, that should be a right for all children. And yeah, it does. I think it's where my next writing's going, I think. I think I've got, I'm feeling more and more incensed by it. <laughs> you know, there are solutions and the solutions are in properly. Yeah, we're lucky in my school that we get different funding for our, our, our children specialists and we get different top up. A mainstream school doesn't even get a drop in the ocean in comparison. Well, that's not fair. That's not right. You know, uh, you, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, your your next kind of um, chapter is on on teams. And I like the fact that you've got kind of a bit on obstacles that stop teams from being effective. Um, so it's kind of like a bit of a, a, a reversed way of looking at it. Yeah, I can't remember now. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, um, I, I, yeah, I, I think my, my big thing on teams is that you've got to accept that there will be people in... I don't want a team that we're all, all in agreement all the time. Um, it doesn't mean I want to have lots of arguments, but but I want to have that healthy debate. Um, and therefore, it's about trust. Ultimately, it's my building teams around trust. So it's OK to say, do you know what? I don't agree with you. I really don't. And that's fine. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that I think I think. Yeah. Remembering it now, I think I write about how. Oft, yeah, we're quite precious about our things that we lead on. And they're quite important to us. And therefore, when they start to fall apart or get taken apart, uh, we get defensive uh, with them in the team. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it is that constructive argument, isn't it? That it's that you want to have a safe environment where they can talk as opposed to kind of um, not having that debate and then essentially not missing out on key bits that could make it better. Yeah, and I think I go back to, again, the purpose. What's the per? I, I, I do that a lot when I was talking about Ofsted recently. You know, what is the purpose of Ofsted? Because if it's just there to 
enable governments to say we have we when we started in government we only had 70 percent of schools good and now we've got 86 well th th then that's not good for the profession it's not a self-improving system it's not really good and i kind of you know I'm, I'm analytical about teams you know how do we use our time how are we visible you know how do we get the balance right i think i talk about lists again there you know how do we know we're doing we're focused on the right things um you know and how analytical are we about that because we have a lot of meetings there's a you know if we all look back there's a lot of times that teams are meeting <laughs> you know and that time's precious so it's how do we make it effective um yeah so yeah that's a little bit my focus around teams i think um again about offstead kindness because often as teams certainly teams with power um we can sometimes be mean or come across as seeming like we're mean certainly our systems you know, they're, they're, you know, as a school leader, we have systems. So we might say, well, we don't allow uh, leave or uh, for X or Y or because it's in our system. And suddenly you're not allowing people to to go to a Christmas performance because it's not in your policy. It's just like you knowing why you do things and the purpose of why you do them. Um, yeah. And I, I like that you are essentially one big team and there's no kind of fear or intimidation or bullying. It it has to be a community. And again, like that, I guess that brings it in from the inclusion that like your team should be a community as well. Yeah, it, it is. But there's a real danger in that in the sense that you be, it can look like you're cliquey within certain teams, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, they're all just going to decide over there. And, I think it's trying to be really, that's why you need to trust and honesty in your team, because sometimes it's like, no, we are, we do need to change that. Um, you know, I, and I, I've got a fantastic business manager. I'm so lucky, but she's a business manager. You know, it's about that for her, the school is about running it as a business. That is going to be a different take to say my deputy, who's more pastoral lead. Um, that's great. You got, I need that in my team because I need to see both of those perspectives. But ultimately, I've got to make a decision. And sometimes I'm going to upset one or I'm, sometimes I'm going to upset the other by saying, actually, no, I'm going to go. And it's again, it's getting that balance right and trying to be do the right fit while the purpose of what we're trying to achieve. Um, yeah, so I've, I write about that quite a lot, really. <laughs> <laughs> and and that leads on to kind of the chapter six quite well like leading and managing change um so i love the fact that you kind of quite openly go i i we're bringing in a new computerized system which i would be all for but i've seen this at, at schools that i worked at where kind of people that have been there a long time much prefer the paper version <laughs> it's less confusing um and especially like having recently swapped to teams and like the difference going from one system to another and 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 kind of how you do that but also kind of keep the cheer within your team because sometimes they like bringing change can kind of really change the mood of everybody and you can guarantee there will be somebody in your school who will give you a very good reason why that change is not going to work for them you, can, you know because it's it rarely it rarely does and I, yeah and I can, I can literally picture the member of staff who told, told me I I'm because I I I, start, I I think I write about how I, I was saying to her you know people do worry about change not to change because i'm not worried about change you just better bloody well work and it's like i've been there so often where it's just not worked and we end up going back to the original system and education that people talk about it is cyclical in the sense that things come around you know things we did years ago you know that people start, you know they don't always they just go out of fashion they don't necessarily lose their effectiveness um, i'm a big believer that any system that is well supported in a school will work 
It might not be the best, but it will work. Um, it just has to have the support and everybody on board with it. Um, so when you're making change, sometimes we've got to be really brutal with ourselves about why we're doing it. Is it, are we just trying to save money? Uh, do we think things will be better for it? Because nine times out of 10, I'm not sure they are. I've done some awful things over time. Um, I'll, I'll be careful because I think I, I brought in a kind of a, you know, all the teachers videoing themselves rather than doing less, uh, uh, less observations. What a disaster that was. You know, because I just thought, oh, that's good. And there's a real danger around social media and research that people just jump on something, right? You know, let's, let's yeah, you know, let's just all do, you know, this because I've read about it. I was terrible, and I see it quite often, you know, head teachers that go to conferences, they're just dangerous. <laughs> Any leaders <laughs> that go to conferences, because they come back going, oh, this is amazing. And uh, you, the point with change is you've got, you've got to take everybody with you, and you, therefore you've got to know why. And they, no, it's not you've got to know, they've got to understand why that change is needed. And that's not really, you know, sometimes we just say, well, it's because Ofsted told us that we need, oh, God. No, that won't be enough for most staff. So, uh, yeah, so I, t I talk a lot about that process um, that, that we go through in the change um, element. And, then, yeah, you know, um, yeah, heard it all before. I, I think that's how I start uh, with, you know, where staff have heard it all before, you know, they've, they've seen that. And then we get carried away with it, you know, and then it gets lost in translation when you've got someone like, I used to have a head who I worked with who loved the first part of change. Like, this is a great idea, everybody did it. And then just got bored. They scared was it going, are we still doing that? You know? So so I kind of look at it in stages. You know, stage one is the, the why and the what. What is the point of this change? Then stage two is like the make, you know, the process making it happen. And then I kind of, yeah, then I talk about the resistance, uh, which you'll get at around about stage two. And then it's reflections and lessons learned on it, the whole mirror, mirror bit. Um, yeah, yeah. I quite enjoyed writing that one. Because <laughs> I've, I've just done so much bad change over the years. <laughs> oh, some of the things, you know, and that, yeah, because I still cringe when I think about some of the things I've done and spent money on, you know, sometimes a lot of money because that, that's the thing isn't it a lot of people especially new heads into roles they expect you to go in and change my school at the moment there we've got a new head starting after february half term and everyone's kind of like oh i wonder what they're going to change are they going to change anything and it is that kind of you have to get the buy-in from the staff but it has to be purposeful but i imagine it's quite difficult especially starting a new school deciding what to change and how long to kind of implement it for yeah, and I wouldn't. I would say if you go into a school in, in special measures or in a crisis, or you know, and the crisis is really clear and everyone's talking about it, that change is probably pretty straightforward. Some change is really easy. You know, if you haven't got a policy, a safeguarding, your safeguarding's gone wrong. You know, there's things you can put in place and you can be quick. What I tend to find with new new heads is, and I've been guilty of this. You go into school and you you open a can of worms and go, oh my God, uh, whoa, I didn't expect that. And then there's a real danger that you just go and keep opening these different cans of worms. And before you know it, you've just got this mess and you can't focus on anything because that's bad. And oh my God, that's awful. And new heads and new, I do this quite often because the, it's really hard as a head leaving your school because you know you've got your skeletons in the closet. You know that you've, there's certain things you could have done better, but you've just not done because you've ignored. And then when a new head comes in, it's like, wow, why is that person working? That's not good enough. 
and there's a real danger you just do and then oh it can be a real mess because some things there's a reason why we locked that can of worms away in that cupboard over there because we just don't know how to deal with it you know and you've opened it which is great but now you don't open anything just focus on that because it's a biggie you know and it's it's things like that 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 yeah that change is often uh, a value we, we change you know, so it's going back to the purpose. If something, yeah, if you're in a school that has got good and, you know, st is stable and the teachers are stable, but it just needs some tweaks, that's very different to telling everybody, right, we're now going to be doing, you know, uh, a two hour spelling session in the mornings. And, you know, it, why are you changing it? Um, and is it because you want to, like, like the original part of that uh, thing, which is, I just didn't like paper based systems because I couldn't be analytical i couldn't get graph so if i got this computerized one in i can run all these different bits of information and have it at hand and be analyzing it and so on which i love data um it, yeah the, some of the staff would like but this works for my teaching i can do this and then i can reflect and tomorrow i can teach better tell me how that system's going to be better than that you know it's like mm, i'm not sure i can <laughs> so yeah it's those elements and and in that chapter, you also talk about the the kind of the cost of change, and you have a whole chapter on finance and business, which I think is great because um, I don't think many people talk about kind of finance and budgets and stuff because it's it's something you have to to learn um, being in a headship, and it's it's not something you would learn as a teacher. No, and it, that was a hard one to write, uh, but I felt it was really important because you, you you know I write at the beginning. It's not until you're really sat in the head seat where you have some sort you might have a budget you may have an area of a budget but suddenly you're responsible for the whole of the finances a deficit at the end of the year or the carry forward you know staffing and you know and i talk a lot about when i see it go wrong it isn't the one-off spends often it's where someone thinks well we need another teacher well over three years that's suddenly kind of 70 80 thousand pound that you hadn't and and it's just caught people out so yeah i think finance and business, the fact that a school is a business and it's not a dirty word. And sometimes we get lost in it's for the children, it's for the children. And of course it is, but a well-run business will only benefit children in the community. So, yeah, there, there, there's an element of saying, let, let's get that right, because we want to get it right for the children in this school. So touch wood, uh, you know, I've always been able to run, you know, uh, uh, budgets with carry forwards. Um I've been really lucky because it's getting harder and harder to do. Um, but then that gets invested back. So, you know, that's why we built hills and tunnels on our fields so the children can roll down hills and things because we've, we've got money that we can spend on that. But, you know, you know, it's those kind of things um, that, that are really important. Yeah. So I just wanted to put that in. I think business is, a, a, is an important one because like you say, you, you don't go into headship with that, but, it can be one of the reasons it goes wrong really quickly. And and you talked about that briefly earlier, like in the fact that I think your school is only closed like one week of the year and the rest of the year you've got all these other provisions yes. that are, yeah. are going on. I know my school kind of, uh, we have a big carnival where we live and they rent out the school fields for people to camp on um, and make money that way. And my old school did that. They had a camping spot where people could come and camp in the summer. It's, I, th I think it is one of, especially with the cost of living crisis and, and energy bills and other bills rising, schools have to kind of find kind of more different ways of creating an income. 
Yeah, and and again, that's through having a business manager. You know, it would be very hard to do it just as a head, but because we're a really big school, um, it's it's you know, I know some schools struggle no matter what, and they're just on that that breadline. Um, but I've always, even with the smaller schools when I first started, just looked at opportunities around that business work. I started work, you know, I started as a head in Tower Hamlets, just right right next to Liverpool Street and Canary Wharf. So we just took the opportunities in our community as much. I know Chris Dyson talks about this a lot. You know, there there's a lot of opportunities you can kind of get within. I think it's harder now. In the early days, when I first became a head, I kid you not, we used to get oh tens of thousands from lawyer firms from Liverpool Street. That just doesn't exist anymore. But there are ways of, of using your site more and more, Bill. There's, there's, you know, we, we run our own kitchen, so we can outsource that because it's big enough. Um, doing an all-year-round provision is huge. You know, our breakfast club is oversubscribed. Our, our, our after-school club's oversubscribed. But I can't do all of that, you know, as a head. I can't be there from 7.30 in the morning to 6 o'clock every night. So you have to have it, a setup that runs that as well, which is a gamble. But um, for us, it, it's hugely profitable because it, it then gets feeds it feeds back into so all the the holiday provision is great because we have children all the way through the summer holidays but what we do is we invest in our outdoor provision for those children but of course the rest of the school benefit so it's those kind of how do we make it work for everyone and um coming back to some more shit um you talked about your drains collapsing and <laughs> the issues that um occurred there and um, I just had no clue that you would have to, like, submit funding bids to get your drains fixed in a school. That, for me, is just bizarre. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. But, you know, particularly, uh, yeah, certainly as an academy, uh, we, we do. So our roof was about to go. You have to do the SIF bid. You know, that was £500,000 for, for, for the roof to be redone. There was no way a school was going to be... A, um, and then the drains, we couldn't get a SIF bid for that. So that was just straight out of budget. And yeah, it, yeah. And of course, the impact of the drains when there's effluent flowing down, you know, the corridors, it's pretty major. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I know of head teachers recently whose, whose schools are flooded. You know, they open the door and it, there'd been a burst pipe and they open the door and there's just the whole school's just flooded out. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah. And the impact that can have uh, long-term. The whole rack, the, you know, my, my local secondary schools literally had to crowdfund. And they've crowdfunded. And I think they've raised over £40,000 crowdfunding because of rack. Um, you know, it, yeah, you've got, it, it, there's an entrepreneurial side that shouldn't be there in a well-run country, you would think. But I think it's a reality for my school leaders now. Especially with everything that's going on with kind of the state of quite a lot of school buildings, and I think it is we're at that kind of almost age where either the new new builds haven't been built quite properly um, for that number of kids on a daily basis, or the older buildings aren't holding up to the number of kids, and it's it seems and it's for me I just it just seems bizarre that we have to have this kind of competition for bids of whose place will get fixed. Um, or if not, we have to cut the teaching or cut somewhere else to be able to fund it. It just doesn't seem right. No, no, it doesn't. And I think that Panorama programme shows, you know, there, there are children in this country sitting freezing, having to wear gloves at school. Um, 
uh, when yeah we can spend billions on people uh, you know uh, just ever things in this country it, it is incredible yeah uh, yeah that's it's a never one but but i but i don't think it harms head teachers to have a bit of a entrepreneurial size because it allows you sometimes to do those extras but the fact you have to do that to do the expected basics is just not right i'm certainly not advocating that and um we were at the better conference a couple of weeks ago and i was just in awe of how many different things there were that could somehow improve education and i did like your little bit thing about the next great thing like how do you know work out kind of which is the best to invest in and what's kind of just a shiny new toy how do you work out what is genuinely going to make a difference and worth the budget i don't always get it right (laughs) um i think it's going back to purpose again what what do we need to do um often we change things that are, are okay but we want it to be more whizzy but it's understanding that it doesn't matter how great that piece of software is if your staff aren't going to use it, they're not going to buy into it. If they haven't, if you haven't got a buy-in, um, the likelihood is it will just be a pretty thing sitting in the corner that doesn't isn't being effective. Um, so I think it's don't buy it first and then ask questions later. I think a lot of the time it's, which means it's quite slow, quite a slow process sometimes. Um, you know, criticism that might have come my way sometimes would be, oh, we talk about this a lot, but, we, you know, but sometimes when you're investing a lot of money into something, you do, you need to know it's going to be right. Um, yeah, so I kind of, I think I was right in there. I, I often plan to fail that approach. I think there is a more nuanced version of it. But, you know, for me, it's about why is this going to go wrong? And often it's no one's going to use it or... We're not going to use it for what we thought it would do. So the amount of times I've brought behavior software, um, thinking it would do everything, it will graph and chart, and then you realize, no, it doesn't really. It doesn't do exactly what I thought. So don't buy something unless you, you know, you've you used it for at least a month, quite often for me now. It was certainly around expensive stuff. And and it's, it, you, you, like I said, you go really into detail. And I, I know that um, me and my master's colleagues have been chatting about this. We're on our finance unit. Um, but you even talk about the differences between kind of the provisions and how budgets alter uh, between provisions, which I found really interesting. In what, yes. Which one was that? <laughs> <laughs> um, that like the, the like I think you mentioned it slightly earlier about the SND funding have like kind of more top ups or you have if you have a certain number of places, then you get a little bit more funding. Yeah, yeah. Well, for us in our specialist provision, we are funded differently, though we're just finding out. I don't think we're funded the same as other special schools, which is interesting. So we've got a conversation to have that with the local authority. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's also just understanding those those costs. So for us, a massive big change in our finances is um, AP. We're spending a lot more money now to try and keep children in school on alternative provisions that provisions we can't do we can't provide horse riding we can't provide some of the mental health services and therefore we're using that and that's really really expensive so it's it is understand yeah i love sitting down and doing a budget um i'm terrified because we're about to we're, we're about to join a mat and i'll lose that i've done it for 20 years and there's something really 
beautiful about that budget, which is going to then create the school for the year, the provisions, you know, the expertise, the additional support, the speech and language therapy or the occupational therapy. But it's just having that 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 overview uh, uh, of it. And as I as we as we said, you don't get that until you're sat in the head's chair often, um, which is quite scary. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that works in your master's. Do, do you, how do you find kind of the idea of Matt's kind of having more control over what schools do with their budget? Do you think it's good in the fact that they'll be able to share experience from different schools? I imagine you'll be able to kind of be able to give them a wealth of kind of ideas. Or do you think it takes away some of that autonomy in how you can kind of be creative with your budget? I think it would depend on the mats. Uh, my, my gut feeling at the moment is it doesn't. Some mats top slice, they take a certain amount of money. Some mats take the whole money and then say, well, what do you need? And I think I prefer that model that you're operating as an organisation. You're not about one school. You're an organisation that will provide finance expertise and HR because we don't get that from the local authority. And as a SAT, a single academy trust at the moment, paying for that on our own is really, really expensive. So the idea of joining a group of schools where that provision is there I don't mind the fact that as long as you know and and the the concept that any map would want their school not to be successful is a shame to think that's the case because actually you're only going to be successful map on the basis of your schools all being successful and there's massive economies of scale I can see it looking through the work that we're going through you can see how schools we work how, how as an organization we will save then it's just about how that money is then back into the need of the, the organisation. So, yeah, I'm changing. I'm still new to, to it, to be honest, but, but, but I can see, I can definitely see the benefits. I don't like being a single academy trust who's not an LA school and not in a map, just sat there, yeah, struggling with services left, right and centre. There's a lot of kind of free resources out there that kind of want to help and want to do things. How do you kind of sieve through kind of those and kind of because they can be quite tempted like oh this sounds really good this is free let's use this resource and then you're actually like oh okay that wasn't quite what was on the tin kind of thing um are there any um kind of ways of kind of making sure that they're the best things for the student um i think a lot of the time it's about well, you you have your systems of things that you all agree on. You know, we all agree that we use time tables, rock stars, and we all agree that we do certain things. But then, what I like often is the teachers want to do something, and they say, "I would like to do. I'd like to mark differently to everybody else." So they go off and trial something. And I'm a big fan of people trialing something and then selling it to the staff through a staff meeting if it works. You know, getting other people interested. Um, and then making the decision. I, I, what I, I find quite often is it's potluck. Sometimes you, you get other heads will recommend it, other colleagues will recommend it. You like it, you see it, like you say, you see it bet. You see things, you think, wow, that's amazing. But until it's in your organisation, your school, and functioning, you don't really know what its impact's going to be. Um, so I've used different safeguarding software. The safeguarding software we use now, I love um but i've used other ones i absolutely hated you know so uh, but that was probably personal because other people use them and probably go they're great um so i i, I think it's hard um to get it right it's potluck sometimes i use a piece of um, assessment software i love and so does the school it worked almost from the moment we started with it and that was a recommendation from twitter that was um 
uh, Mr. Pembroke. Um, I forgot his first name suddenly. Um, yeah, so so he recommended it. Came out to my school. We did. We you know spent you know spent some time, and then we've used it ever since, and it's just worked perfectly for us. So I think there's a bit of a randomness about it. But other colleagues always talk to other colleagues. Um, and, and you, that is a theme throughout your book. You very much talk about kind of reaching out and having support from either your mat or from other heads, or um, or even on Twitter. And I think that's the great thing about teachers is that we are a really good community. Um, but your last chapter, I do like, is on rebellious leadership. And I kind of like the idea of rebellious leadership. Yeah, they edited that one out because I was going to do a Rage Against the Machine. Um, <laughs> quote the they, they edited me a lot, um, certainly my swearing. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I, I've always, I was, you know, I was a bit of a punk when I grew up. Um, I kind of, you know, at school, I was, well, I was more of a goth, actually. I used to wear black dresses and makeup you know as a school I always just was someone that just felt that I didn't have to do it this way it doesn't mean that I break the rules or I'm a lawbreaker particularly but I, I, I why are we doing it this way and there is an element I think there's a real danger that head teachers don't feel that they can be rebellious that we have to conform to certain things Ofsted and certain ways of doing things and I think I think there's a lot of importance in you know, learning from that, the, the, the rebel element, because that's usually when we're at our most creative. Um, you know, if we if, if we want to change the... the uh, my, my businessman's got a great phrase. It's like, why why do we just keep doing what we've always been doing in this area? So she'll pick something and say, we've always done it like that. Uh, and, it, you know, and at the moment you're saying it's not working. So why are we just accepting that we always just do it like this? Why, you know, and it's that element. Yeah, you know. Um... And uh, yeah, and I'm a bit controversial there. I think again, from my personal line, you know, I didn't need love when we were growing up in, you know, a struggling family. We kind of needed um, people to give us opportunities. I needed opportunities at school. And if maybe at my secondary school, some people had spent the time that someone at Bridgewater College did, I might have seen the light a bit sooner. Um, but I was allowed to sky because yeah actually to be honest there was a great teacher called mr Ma uh, mr maddie great name for a teacher who did get quite cross with me when when, it, when <laughs> you know when i was skiving so um yeah at least he you know he had the energy but a lot of other people were indifferent to me at that point and i don't know yeah so maybe it's because i've always liked the rebels a little bit um yeah no, I like it. And and I like the, the fact you can kind of conclude that you, you did it your way. And I think that's the thing. You can't do it the same as everybody else and you can't do what everybody tells you to do. You can only do what you feel is right. Yeah, because when you make decisions as a head teacher, you're making that decision and you've got to accept that. You've got to learn that quite quickly, um, you know. Um, and, yeah, I, I feel that if you don't, if you're a bit wishy-washy on a decision that's a big decision because you, and you don't really believe it yourself, that's a really hard thing to do because we are quite authentic people. We want to leave. But I have made big decisions that I don't believe, but I've trusted my team around them. So I might not be going, but actually my team, my team believe. So it's just it's just around that element of um it's reflection as well but yeah yeah i talk about the politics of it i, I think anger is an energy i feel that 
there's nothing wrong. I, I, I try not to be too political. I think I probably am if you read my, tw you know, my Twitter feeds. Um, I'm clearly not a, a, a conservative at the moment, and I'm not. I'm, <laughs> Is to say that because I feel it wouldn't matter what government was in, you know, the way that education feels, it, you know, we can see it. You know, I've been in education since 1995 and I can see it directly. Um, but all the same, I still work really professionally with my Conservative MP. I still write to him, I still invite him in, I still do all those things because I try to influence from, from, from the inside. But um i also fall out with him a lot <laughs> <laughs> no i love it and 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 that's the thing of your book throughout it's very open it's very honest it's very witty and funny and a really enjoyable read um so i cannot recommend it to anybody enough um if you want Thanks. something that's and it's it is so easy to read as well it's not kind of like you said heavy on educational research and like a bit of a dredge to get through is genuinely kind of enjoyable and also so educational in the in the same breath so it's available from sage publishing so go and go and get it now and it's have it's a read yeah, you just just put heads office on amazon and you'll see the ever reviews which are lovely there's some really nice reviews there and it's on offer i think at the moment so. oh there you go it's, it's a bargain so oh, um, <laughs> so and heads... i'll always reply to dms about it as well anybody asks questions you know. oh you well you're going to open that straight up to everybody wanting to know about finance now <laughs> ready for the assignment um but thank you so much for joining me that um time has flown by but it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and um i've just learned so much from your book so thank you very much for writing oh, it thank you. you're too kind thank you <laughs> yes if you've joined in throughout the show and you've missed it at all, then you can um, listen back to the podcast um, on Teacher Talk Radio and it will be available to listen there soon. So thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the show and have a lovely week. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.